So this is tonight. Um, if you haven't been around much, if you've been sick, I'll just fill you in really quickly. We finished our 12-week series on women of God, and we covered a lot of territory about what the Bible says about being a woman of God. And, you know, there's a lot of ideas and notions out there about what it means to be a woman of God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight when we talk about stereotypes and labels. Um, But we have studied for 12 weeks what the Word says about being a woman of God and what the Word tells, uh, how the Word instructs women. And then we took that a little bit deeper and we studied, you know, we know what the Word says about being a woman of God, but what about all these things that come up in life? And what about all these thoughts that I have? And what about all these battles and struggles I'm facing they distract me and they veer, you know, they, I'm veered off my course and I'm not able to be the woman that God wants me to be. And so we learned how to use the word against the enemy and against the thoughts and the strongholds of our mind. And so um, that was all fall. Now that we're going into winter, um, pastor wanted us to continue this format through the winter and have the ladies up here. And so when I was praying about what to bring um, to you on Wednesday nights, I was reminded of this series that I taught from, how long has it been? Do you have dates on there? Three years ago, four years ago, something like that. So if you were in this class um, three or four years ago, I did teach through this back then. But as Stephanie was mentioning last week, she still has her notes But the notes that she's taking now are very different than the notes she took several years ago. And that shows how a person grows and that shows how the word is alive and powerful. The word doesn't change, but no matter where you find yourself in life, you might read the same scripture and then read it again in five years and it has a completely different impact on you. And it hits you in a completely different way. And that's why the word never gets old. It's alive. You can hear the same stories, you know, from Sunday school on, and it still impacts us. And many times it impacts us in a brand new way. And we see things in a new light. So even if you did sit through this class a few years ago, um, I'm probably going to teach it different. You're probably going to receive it different. Um, But it's incredible because we get to walk through the lives of um, 12 women of the Bible. And last week we started with Eve, and tonight we are going to be talking about Rebecca. And I love to talk about Rebecca. I think her story is a very interesting story. So to kind of lay out the foundation here for us tonight, I want you to think for a moment about stereotypes, labels, and boxes. We're all guilty of it. We all have, from time to time, put people in a box, or we've stereotyped somebody, or we've slapped a label on somebody, because it really makes life so much easier, doesn't it, to just slap that label on. If we're not careful and attentive, we can all slip into this habit from time to time. We can put people in a little box Or we can use a big, broad stereotype so that we don't really have to deal with who they truly are. So this happens a lot to women 
in the kingdom of God. We've talked about this topic for months. What does it mean to be a godly woman? And I think that we've covered a lot of ground and you should have lots of um, notes and you should be well equipped on knowing what does it mean to be a godly woman, a woman. And um, when we have this discussion, though, a whole list of stereotypes likely comes to our mind. Even though we've heard the scriptures and we've read the scriptures, we tend to really focus on like that meek and quiet spirit, right? And we overlook the strength and the integrity that a woman is called to have. So there are certain stereotypes and certain labels that we place on femininity in the church. And we use these descriptions often without even really thinking about it or without even really reflecting on it. But when we open the pages of scripture and we meet someone like Rebecca, all of those stereotypes are shattered. And she doesn't fit into our little box that we like to put women into. Rebecca was one of the matriarchs of the faith. That means she was Mama Rebecca, all right? She was in the lineage. She was in the who's who. She was part of the family that um, brought forth King David and later brought forth Jesus, the Messiah, all right? So Rebecca was a matriarch of the faith, and she's in the bloodline of King David and Jesus himself, but she doesn't always line up with that stereotype that we would like to place on her. At first, Rebecca seems to just kind of fall in line with it. She appears to be very quiet and humble and willing to serve. And isn't that what we are taught as women in the church were told, just be humble and just be real quiet and meek and be willing to serve, right? And those are all good attributes, and the scripture does teach us those things. But then, as we dig into Rebecca's story a little bit, we discover that she was very articulate. She was very well-spoken for a woman in her time period. She had very strong opinions, and she was ready to speak her mind. She is bold, and she is courageous, And those qualities right there stretch some of those traditional stereotypes that we often think of with women in the church. Sadly, as we unravel her story tonight, you will discover that Rebecca was also deceptive, manipulative, and very controlling. How does this fit with our categories for women of the faith, for matriarchs, for this woman who would be a part of the lineage of the Messiah? Why would God use someone who's deceptive, manipulative, controlling, has strong opinions, ready to speak her mind, bold? Why would God use her in his redemptive story? The truth is, that Rebecca broke the box, shattered the stereotypes, confounded the labels, and in her story, we see all of her strengths laid before us, but we also see her frailties and her weaknesses laid right out there as well. 
The truth is that all of us, we are all women of great strengths and profound weaknesses. Every one of us. Looking around the room, I see a lot of strength. I see some powerful women, even some that you don't see it yourself. If you could just see yourself as God sees you and as your pastor's wife sees you, you're powerful women of great strength. And also, we know that in this room amongst us, there are profound weaknesses in every single one of us. Rather than glossing over our failures and trying to fit, into, and trying to fit our lives into this understanding of what it means to be a godly woman, the story of Rebecca teaches us that God can use all kinds. God can use the good, the bad, and the ugly in his redemption story. God can redeem anyone. God can change anyone. God can anoint anyone. And he does so as he chooses. And you and I don't get to decide. We don't get to pick and choose who God gets to use. But the Lord in his sovereignty knows how to use our strengths and even how to help us in our weaknesses to be the women that he's called us to be and to accomplish his purposes. All right, so we're going to um, kind of set up Rebecca's story here with a little story time ourselves, and then we're going to read in scripture together. So meeting Rebecca, as we read her story tonight, you're going to see that Rebecca was a very strong woman in virtually every way possible. Yes, even physically, she was strong. She was a picture of strength. The very first time we meet her in the Bible, she is offering to bring water to a servant, but not just to him, but also to his 10 thirsty camels. And I'm going to talk more about that later. So remember that. This gal is carrying water to 10 camels. Okay? I did a little research for you. This task would have taken a long time of drawing the water, pouring the water, delivering the water to those camels. It was a sign of physical strength and endurance. Rebecca was strong in body. She was a strong woman. Rebecca also had intellectual strength. We can see in her conversation that she had a very sharp mind, a quick answer. She was quick on her feet. She also had the ability to recognize and respond to what was happening around her. Rebecca had great emotional strength. She was courageous. When she was asked to pack up her belongings and travel a far away distance to begin a new life with a complete stranger named Isaac, she said, sign me up. Let's go. She was ready to go. Finally, she had spiritual fortitude as well. Rebecca walked with a measure of faith and trust in God, even when she didn't know what the future held, even when things didn't look good, even when she might've you know, been fearful or any one of us might've been fearful, she was ready to go and put her faith and her trust in God. Like so many of us, if you can't tell already from what we've talked about, about our gal tonight, Rebecca, she was a person of paradox. Meaning on one hand, you see strength. And then on the other hand, you see such great weakness. She was the mother of twins, Jacob and Esau. And she got pulled into the very dangerous practice 
of playing favorites with her children. She trusted God in some situations, but she also would manipulate people to get what she wanted. Motherhood came late in life for Rebecca. For the first 20 years of her married life, she was barren. Even though God had made a covenant with Abraham and promised that his descendants would be as many as the sands on the seashore, Rebecca was aware of God's promise, and yet she lived with broken dreams. She was childless for two decades. Imagine being Abraham's daughter-in-law and knowing the promises that was spoken over him, saying, I will make you the father of many nations, your lineage. And here she is for 20 years cannot even give him a grandbaby. So she had a lot of disappointments in life and she had um, her faith to be challenged until the twins came. Rebecca deeply loved her husband and her sons, but we learned that also, even though there was a great love there, there was also a shadow side. And at one point in her life, Rebecca deliberately Deceived two of those who were closest to her, Esau and Isaac, her husband and one of her sons. Her ambitious dreams for her favorite son was a strain to her marriage, lost her the love and respect of her oldest son, and eventually led to the loss of her favored son, Jacob, who was forced to flee town. When we peek behind the curtain of Rebecca's life, we find a real woman. This is not a stereotype. This is a real woman. Who needs Netflix? Who needs soap operas when you have the Old Testament? Open it up and you are like, whoa. And these are real people that lived real lives unto God. Rebecca did not fit into a neat little category. And the truth of the matter is that neither do you and I. To get to know Rebecca, we have to be honest with ourselves We have to break free from some of those stereotypes and come to God just as we are, strengths and weaknesses. And the the fact of the matter is tonight that God is fully aware of your strengths and he wants to use them for his glory. He's gifted each and every one of you in various ways and he wants to use that in his kingdom. But... He is also keenly aware of your weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. You can't hide them from God. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows what's in there. And you may be able to deceive everyone around you. You may be able to deceive me, pastor. You might be able to even deceive yourself sometimes. But God still knows And he can still redeem your story. All right, so we're going to read tonight in um, Genesis chapter 24. We will find Rebecca's story. So if you have your Bibles and you would like to turn there and follow along. All right. So we're going to jump around a little bit tonight because this is a lengthy passage of scripture. But if you um, get time to read this all on your own this week, I I think it would be awesome if we could all just carve out the time and make the time this week to read Genesis chapter 24 in its entirety. Um, 
It is 67 verses. So I'm going to kind of jump around just a hair, but let's start at verse one. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Remember, I told you, Abraham had received the promise, right? Abraham had been promised that he'd be the father of many nations and that through his lineage, that the nation of Israel would be born, that the Messiah would come, that all of these wonderful things would happen through Abraham's lineage. So he had a promise on his life and he had a covenant with God. But now here, Abraham is old. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. He must have been old. The Bible said Abraham was old and well stricken in age. I mean, when somebody is well stricken in age, that sounds pretty old. Um, But the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So what just happened here? I'll tell you, it's kind of weird. We're like, what? Okay, they didn't shake hands. All right, we would do a handshake today and coming into an agreement and let's shake hands on it. Their agreement was like, put your hand under my thigh and agree that this is what we're gonna do. We're coming into a covenant together. So Abraham's servant, this was his, his um, eldest servant who he had given rule over his entire estate. Everything that Abraham had and everything he'd accumulated, this servant was in charge of. So Abraham really trusted this man. And then he tells him, he says, swear to me that you will not let my son go out and marry one of these foreign wives. Now, why would he not want him to go out and marry a Canaanite or a Hittite or one of the ites? All right. The reason was they all worshiped false gods. They did not worship the one true living God. It had nothing to do with race or the color of their skin or anything like that, but it was their religion. It was what they believed and what they practiced was not the one true living God of heaven and earth. And so he's saying here, I want someone for my son who they're, they're yoked together in faith. They believe the same, they serve the same God, and so he told his servant, go to, to my country, go to my kindred where I come from and find a wife for Isaac. So the servant does it. And the servant goes to Abraham's home and he is looking for a woman for Isaac. All right, we're going to jump ahead then to verse 10. The servant says a prayer unto God here and listen to this little prayer. The servant took 10 camels, the camels of his master and departed for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And when he came and when, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. Now this is a smart servant y'all. Okay, he's like, okay, I'm gonna go back here to the right area, to the right place. I'm gonna take all these camels. He's got 10 of them, which would have told anybody, flashing lights, money, wealth, 
they're rich, okay? And he's like, I'm gonna take all these camels here and we're gonna go down by the well. And we're gonna go about evening time because that's when the ladies come out. They come out at evening time to come draw water from the well. So this ain't no dummy. This servant knows what he's doing. And then he got down there and he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels a drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast shown kindness unto my master. So he gets very descriptive in his prayer. And he says, Lord, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my part. And I think we can learn something from the servant here. Because he didn't just go stand out in the middle of the desert and say, Okay, Lord, I'll just sit right here and wait for a woman to come passing by randomly in the middle of the desert, and that will be Isaac's wife. No, he did his part. He thought it through. He went to the place where he thought he might have some success. He takes his camels. He does his part, and then he prays and gives the rest to God. Isn't that a lesson for all of us? We have to sometimes do our part to get our miracle, to get what God has for us. We have to do our part. And then we just give it to God and let him do the rest. So he prays this prayer and he's very specific. He says, the woman that comes up and I ask for a drink and she replies, oh yes, let me get you a drink and a drink for the camels. That's her. That's how I know she's the one. And so we're going to go down to uh, verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon. In other words, she was pretty. A virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her. Y'all, now he's running. Now he's like, oh, I found her. I found the one. Isaac's going to be so pleased. Abraham's going to be thrilled. And so he goes running after her. I told you, you don't need Netflix. This is exciting stuff. All right. And then uh, I lost my place. Got so excited. 17, the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she had a real quick answer for him. She said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had done giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And that is exactly what she did. She went and filled up She drew water for all of the camels and she ran and filled the trough and then she ran to the well to draw water and she was making these trips and she was making sure that all 10 of the camels had plenty of water. Do y'all know anything about camels? They drink a lot of water. So when you watered camels, she was probably, I'm just imagining making multiple, multiple trips. 
So I did a little bit of research on this because I found this to be kind of interesting. It's something we just kind of jump right over. And we say, oh, she gave water to him and then she gave water to all these camels. And we're like, cool story. And we move on. But after a long journey in the desert, which they had just completed, the average camel drinks anywhere from 26 to 40 gallons of water. One camel, okay? And they had 10 camels that she watered that day. So we're talking anywhere from 260 to 400 gallons of water for them camels. All right, that's a lot of water. Then I got to looking and I figured out that the women that carried the water at the well and carried these pitchers on their shoulders, atop their head, you've all seen the pictures, the drawings, um, that the average vessel in the ancient scripture in this time carried two gallons. So this means she made about 62 trips with this jug, this vessel, back and forth to water these camels. And the Bible says that she hastened or she ran. So she wasn't just slugging along here like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. She was running this water back and forth to these camels. Ain't no wonder he was like, this is the girl. So she was strong, right? And I think that that story alone right there goes against the grain of the traditional views of what it means to be feminine. Because so many times we teach that to be feminine, you need to be meek and quiet and sit tight and you don't need to show strength and be strong. And, and this shows right here that Rebecca was a workhorse and she was strong and she was willing to work and she was willing to get dirty and she was willing to put in 62 trips carrying two gallon jugs to 10 camels, right? Running while she's doing it. So Rebecca was the answer to the prayer. She ran, she watered these camels, and verse 21 says, the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of 10 shekels weight of gold and said, whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in my father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. The man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And she ran again and told them of her her mother's house, these things. And so what she's done now is she has opened up her home to this stranger. So we see Rebecca was also, she was strong. She was quick on her feet. She had the answer. She was, she was ready to respond, but also she was hospitable and she was opening her home up to this gentleman. 
As we go on down through chapter 24, um, we see that the man comes into the house and he, where he's invited, and they set down food before him, and he says, I can't eat until I explain why I'm here. He says, okay, it's time to confess. And so the servant tells who he is. I am Abraham's servant. And he tells how Abraham has been so blessed and how God has done so much for him. He's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and camels, obviously, at least 10 of them. And, and then um, he explains that he's there to look for a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And he says, I can't go home until I have fulfilled my oath, until I have brought back the goods. I've brought back this woman for him. And so he explains then that he was standing by the well of water and he said, um, he asked her to give him some water and she answered, yes, you can have some, but let me also take care of your camels. And he explained that that was how he would know that the Lord had appointed this woman for Isaac. Before um, he was even able to get it all out, Rebecca had showed up and fulfilled the request exactly like he had prayed it. Very specific. There is a lesson for us tonight in that. Pray specific prayers. God loves specific prayers. He loves us to ask for something very specific because when it's answered in a very specific way, there is no denying that that answer came from the Lord. You know, so remember that in your prayers, that it's okay to be specific. It's okay to to ask God what exactly you have need of and to lay it out before him. He already knows but he loves it when we get really specific with him because he can show up and he can show out on your behalf. And the Lord loves to do that for us. So after he explains this, after the servant explains this, her dad, Laban, um, answered and said, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. This is verse 50. Verse 51, behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go and let her be thy master's son's wife as the Lord hath spoken. And so her father gave his blessing because that's the first thing that had to come. He had to agree. And he says, I can see the hand of God at work here. I can see by the story that you've told us that the Lord has sent you so Rebecca can go. So now we have this woman, this young woman with so much to offer and she's got something in front of her that many of us would look at and find great challenge. She's going with a man, she doesn't know, to a far away land. This is not a fairy tale, but it sounds like one, right? far away country and she's going to set up a life amongst people she doesn't really know and she's eager to go in verse 58 they called Rebecca and said unto her wilt thou go with this man 
So she did have a choice in the matter. Everybody chill out. (laughs) And she said, I will go. Again, she just answers quickly. She says, yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. She agrees to it right away. They sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said unto her, thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. Rebecca arose and her damsels and they rode upon the camels and followed the man and the servant took Rebecca and went his way. So we see here a great picture of courage. This is a woman who is courageous and who's comfortable in her own skin. Have you ever met someone like that? They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses and they're just comfortable in who they are strengths and weaknesses alike and they're just ready to just take on the challenge and we see great courage in here we see a woman who says yes who responds to the call of god and is ready to go no matter what do you think that that was an easy journey do you think that this was all just a bed of roses for rebecca i highly doubt it but she said yes. She agreed without hesitation. And this is, to me, a humble example of a willingness to serve. And that is a Christ-like spirit that we see in Rebecca. A humble example of saying, here am I. Send me. Use me. Whatever you need me for, God, if you're calling my name, I'll respond. I'll answer. Even if I don't fully understand it, even if I don't completely like it, even if I'm a little scared, I'm going to say yes. Even if I'm absolutely terrified, I'm still going to say yes. And so in this story of Rebecca, we can all be encouraged by her willingness and say, Lord, if you ask something of me, I'll say yes to your will, to your purpose, to your plan, whatever it is you have for me, I'm going to say yes. Oh, that we could all get to the place where our response to God is a quick yes. A quick yes, I'll go. Not a, oh, but Lord, but this, but that, but what about this? But you know how I'm just too shy or I'm too backward or I, I don't have enough money or I don't have what it takes or we can think of all the excuses and all of the reasons. And I'm sure Rebecca had them because as her story unfolds, you're going to see Rebecca wasn't all that in a bag of chips. All right. But her answer was a quick yes. And that is the place that every one of us should desire to be where our first response to the Lord Our first answer is a quick yes. All right, so let's um, let's read verse 62. And Isaac came from the way of the well. Um, Let's jump down a little bit. He lifted up his eyes and saw and behold, the camels were coming. So something's coming back. Those camels, that's the first thing he sees. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel, for she had said unto the servant, 
What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So this was their first little meeting. This is their love story. How cute. Everybody say, aw. So sweet. So this was their first little encounter, and Rebecca again says yes. She submits and surrenders to all that God has for her life, and we see that response all throughout her story. Yes, I'll go. Yes, I'm willing. Yes, I'll bring water to you. And yes, not just you, but also your camels. I'll go above and beyond what is asked of me. Yes, yes, yes. That's the pattern we see in her story. Yes. And if only we could get that in our spirits tonight. Yes. Yes, Lord. Whatever you have for me, I'll do it. Get that in our spirits. All right. So as the story goes on, she is 20 years barren and is unable to have children. And so we jump ahead 20 years and finally she becomes pregnant. And she is one day feeling not just normal baby kicks, but I imagine it was like, whoa, what is going on in there? And the children were struggling inside of her. And so she took it to the Lord and she said, Lord, I need to know what's happening. And the Lord responded to her and said, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So he spoke a prophetic word over these two boys, Jacob and Esau. And when the time came, the twins were born, Jacob and Esau. And many of us have heard this story before, but if you don't know, Esau sold his birthright, sold his inheritance and for a pot of stew, and... There was always contention amongst these brothers. There was always a fight amongst them, always a battle. There was great jealousy. And you can see throughout the story that Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. And she made the grave mistake of playing favorites with her children. And it showed And it created a a dissension between these boys that was even greater. And a greater struggle that began in the womb was seen throughout their lives until there was a great deception and Esau sold his birthright. So the story here gets really ugly. This beautiful story of yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll serve quick response, this strong, courageous woman, all of these wonderful things that we've read about in Rebecca, we now see that Rebecca's strength, the very things that was such a strength in her also had a shadow side. Her quick mind that allowed her to respond to Abraham's servant that day was the same mind that helped her to concoct a plan to help her favorite son, Jacob, steal his brother's inheritance. 
So consider tonight some of your own strengths. Consider some of the things that you think I'm strong in this area. This is a gifting. And how might some of those same strengths become dangerous if we're not careful in how we handle them? That's why every gift, everything we're given, every blessing has to be given back to the Lord. To keep us humble, to keep our spirits right, to keep us connected to God. Because even the strengths can be used for good, but can be also used for evil. Maybe you feel tonight that you have been blessed with the gift of gab, communication. You can talk to people. You can minister to people. You can testify. You have a great gift in in speaking in your mouth. And as I bet many of us would say that have that gift, there is a dark side. And there is a part of it that we have to surrender to the Lord because what can be used for good can also be used for evil, right? The tongue, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Every good gift has a shadow side. Yes, you can speak life, but you also have to be careful because you can speak death and we have to guard ourselves. And that's just one example of many. I heard a story recently and I thought of this and jotted it in my notes tonight. Maybe you think that, you know, like I just have the ability to make a little extra money. I have this talent or this gift that God has given me and I can, you know, use it as a blessing to my family. Like that Proverbs 31 woman that wears us all out when we read what all she accomplishes in a 24 hour period of time. But maybe you have that gift. And I heard this story recently of a man that had found a way to grow his business and he had had some abilities and some giftings that God had given him and he was going to grow his business and increase his income. What a blessing, right? And that was a gift from God. God had given him the knowledge and the ability and the gifts to be able to do this and to, to make more money. Well, as he got more money, he had more of a struggle letting go and having that open hand to be able to be generous and give as the Bible commands us. The Bible commands us to give a tithe in Malachi. And it says, if you don't give your tithe, you're robbing God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to rob God. And this man was struggling with this and he was honest about it. And he went to his leadership and said, you know, I'm really struggling here because I just, I have this ability and I have this gift and I'm, I'm really making some great money, but it seems like the more money I make, the more that comes up and I'm having a really hard time paying my tithes and, and giving it back to God. Just even just that 10%, let alone even more and giving offerings, but I'm having trouble. And so a certain minister, which you all know him, so I won't mention his name. It's his story to tell, not mine, laid hands on this man and began to pray, God, would you just take away these extra blessings that's keeping him from giving? Take away these blessings that you've given him that he's unable to give his tithe and he's robbing you. Don't let him rob you because the book of Malachi says if you withhold your tithe and you're robbing God that you're cursed. There's a curse on your finances. And he said, lift this, you know, lift this curse off of him. 
Don't give him so much so that he can go back to, to giving again. And the man said, no, get your hands off of me. What are you praying? No. But that is an example of how the blessings can also become a shadow in our lives if we're not careful. And that's why it's so important to give, 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 give unto God. Have that open hand. If God blesses you with more, whether it be financial, whether it be a a gifting or a talent or an ability, give it right back to the kingdom of God because it doesn't belong to you to begin with, but he's given it to you to be a blessing, right? And so, so many times we have these certain gifts and these certain abilities and, and things that God has blessed us with and given to us so that we could be a blessing. And instead of that quick yes and just saying, okay, yes, Lord, whatever you ask, yes, I'll do it. Instead, we allow that very same blessing to be detrimental. We allow it to cast a shadow. And in our girl's story tonight, Rebecca's story, that's exactly what she did. The same beautiful young woman that had this brilliant mind and this quick answer. And just a few moments ago, we praised her for her quick answer and her brilliant mind and how, how she responded to this servant so quickly. Not everyone could do that, admit it. Not everyone could do that. Not everyone could have that response so quickly. But that same mind, decades down the road, would sit in her tent and say, oh, I'm smart and I am devious and you think that you're gonna show me what I'm gonna show you, right, Esau? You're your daddy's favorite, but you're not mine. And I'm gonna show you. And so I've got a plan and I'm gonna concoct it. I'm gonna put it all together with this same brilliance and this same mind that has brought blessing and I'm going to bring a curse. So the lesson here tonight is to be humble, to be willing to say yes, to be willing to serve and to be willing to use our gifts for the glory of God, to be willing to use whatever it is God has blessed you with And each and every one of you have a different gift, have a different story, have a different testimony. Each and every one of you have a different personality that God has given to you to serve in his kingdom for his purposes, to be a blessing. I can't be you. You can't be me. You can't be the person beside you. He doesn't want us to be like one another. God is not limited to one certain type of woman, but he loves variety. And that's why you look around this room, you look around this church, and you see all kinds of women. He doesn't want us to be just like the person next to us. He wants us to be unique. He wants us to have our own unique giftings so that we can be a blessing to the kingdom in our own way. But we have to guard ourselves. 
We have to know our strengths and know how to use them in the kingdom of God, but we also need to know our weaknesses. And we have to be careful that those very strengths are not used for evil. You know, we sing about it, talking about how the Lord can take what the enemy means for evil and he can use it for our good, right? He can turn it around and use it for good. It's in the scripture and we sing about it. We believe that, that the Lord can take the evil, the the weaknesses in us and he can turn it right around and he can use it for good in his kingdom. And I believe that a hundred percent. But I also think the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. So we have to guard the gift. We have to guard the blessings. Guard it with everything within us. Because I also believe that the good that has been placed within you, your strengths that has been placed within each and every one of us, there's also an enemy who's after that. And he wants to turn the good around to use it for evil. Amen. One second. We're not taking questions right now. Thank you. So women who are courageous know their strengths and they know what they have to offer. They know what they have to give. They know their limitations and they are comfortable with who they are. It's important to be aware of our strengths, our weaknesses. It's okay to know this is what I have to give. This is what God has blessed me with and I'm gonna give it back into his kingdom. But it's also important to identify our weaknesses and make sure that our strengths and our giftings are used for the glory of God. Not for my glory, right? Not for the glory of your neighbor, not for the glory of your family, not to make yourself look good. But those gifts and the blessings that you have are used for the glory of God. Do we truly understand what that means? I think a lot of times we say these things tongue in cheek, just church cliches, just things we say. But think about that tonight. God, I want you to use me for your glory. Not to make me look good. Not so I get noticed. But for your glory, so that his name is praise so that his name is made famous on your job, in your family, in your homes, at school, whatever you're doing in life, that you're bringing glory to God through all that we do. All right. So we're going to get ready to close out and uh, we're going to wrap up with some prayer before we leave tonight. And I want us to pray that we would get God, that we would get this word deep in our hearts tonight. And here's some points that we can remember in prayer. I want you to invite God into your struggles. If you have struggles going on in life, if you have weaknesses, you can invite God to be a part of those struggles. He wants to be. Because as I already said, you can't hide them. He already knows that they're there. And then I, I want you to pray tonight that you would be able to say yes 
and use the strengths that God has given you and use the gifts that God has placed in you to use your personality, to use your relationships. Just God, whatever it is you want from me, the answer is yes. A quick yes. Not a, let me think about it and get back to you, Lord. Not a, well, let me put together a 10-step process here of all the reasons why it's not going to work. But a quick yes, yes to the Lord. And also pray tonight that if there's anything within us that might be leading us to act in an ungodly way, even things that we might think, well, that's good. It's good that I'm that way. It's good that I think that way. It's good that my personality is like that. It's good that, you know, I do this or say that. But if it's causing us or leading us to act ungodly, ask God to reveal that within us and show it to us tonight. So if you can, let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Don't let me be the only one praying, but we can all talk to God in this moment and invite him into our hearts and our minds through this word. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Jesus, we invite you into our struggles. We invite you, God, into every situation that we find ourselves in in this room, God. We invite you into the areas, Lord, that you've given us blessings and strength and giftings and provision, God. And we pray that we would use it well for your glory and that our answer would always be a quick yes, God. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us, Lord, with our difficulties, with our struggles, with our shortcomings, God. I pray, Lord, that that shadow side that we all find ourselves up against, Lord, that you would reveal anything in us, God, that might be leading us in the wrong path, Lord, that might be leading us away from you, Jesus. Reveal anything in our hearts and our lives, God, that's not pleasing to you, Lord. Any influence that we have in our lives, God, that is not... That is not a positive and a righteous influence. God, we cut it off tonight, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would let every woman in this room, let them find freedom in you. Let them find hope in you and let them be everything that you've called them to be, God. I pray that you would anoint them as women of God. Use their strengths, God, and help us, Lord, to overcome our weaknesses each day, Jesus. Through you, we can do all things. In the name of Jesus, we pray tonight.